Well, this summer it really was a summer of history as the Yankees, of course, saw Mariano Rivera be inducted in the Hall of Fame unanimously, by the way. And he's a big part of why my next guest is able to join me today. I'll wait that in a second. But, of course, this past weekend, Pete Alonso making it the rookie record, actually also ensuring that the Yankees and the Mets have the top two rookies in the record books in the home run category. And uh, Jerry Beach joins me now. Jerry, uh, I, I mentioned Mariano. Well, that's how we first started uh, connecting because we went to the event up in New Rochelle. How did you like that event, by the way? I did. That, that was, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, it, it was a nice event. It was, uh, you know, it's, you don't associate, you know, a superstar uh, living in, uh, you know, such a low-key town like New Rochelle. You picture, you know, Tony Estates and, uh, you know, up, upstate or out east of the island or something. But, uh, you know, it was really nice to to go to that and to see that the uh, the mutual love and affection that both sides, you know, both the town and Mo had for one another and to see Mo's imprint on the town with the church next door to City Hall and and uh, and, and and just, just you know, all the imprints he'd had uh, in the area. It was, it was a lot of fun to see and, and a lot of fun to see people come out and, and line the parade route and they go up to see him for this uh, the, the little ceremony they had at the park by the marina after that. So I really enjoyed it. It was, it was uh, like I said, we don't normally associate a small town like that with, with um, you know, a superstar and, and the superstar being connected to it uh, now as he was when he, when he moved there 25 years ago. But uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. It was a good time. Now, obviously... You've seen both teams here this year. What are your thoughts on the Yankees, really quickly, as they head into the postseason? I'm a little worried, to be honest. I, I'm 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 in the minority. I, I've been saying for for weeks that I think that Brian Cashman's figured out the, the way you can win in October in a way you can't win, you know, March or April through September. And you know, we saw it the last ten days of the season. He'd have you know Chad Green or an opener go, and then he bring in uh, Tanaka. Um, and, and I think I think Severino pitched relief. I think I can't remember, but but you know he, he's planning clearly planning. But they didn't get uh, Zach Greinke, you know who they probably wouldn't have got anyway because he had a no trade clause. I thought he would have come to New York, but they didn't get that superstar uh, front end of the rotation guy. I thought for sure they get Madison Bumgarner, but the Giants got back into the race and didn't trade him. So I think I, you know I think Cashman's saying, you know I don't have Verlander, Cole, Greinke, but but I can I can match them. I can match zeros with this loaded bullpen that didn't have Dylan Batances all year and was still, uh, you know, just wave after wave after wave of hard throwing guys. Um, so, I mean, I know it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a contrarian streak in me. I, mean, I, I I don't blame anybody for thinking the Astros are 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 loaded and 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 ready ready to roll. But I just I just think you know in a short playoff series, I always kind of tend to tend to emphasize or tend to favor. You know, fluky things happening, and you know, I certainly think the Astros are better than the Yankees right now. And if they played 162 games you know, with their current rosters, I think the Astros would probably win a lot more than, you know, be, be a lot better than by the handful of games they were better by this year. But you know, if you know, I I I, I think the Yankees have a real shot. You know, I think they I think they should take care of Minnesota uh, in, in four or so, and you know, they can get to the playoffs. And you know, like I said, people I understand people that the Houston rotation is loaded, but you know, you just get. You know, it's a juice ball this year. Yeah, Balls are playing on the parks. If you get, you know, you get two run lead and you just build your, you know, you build your bullpen, steal a game in Houston, man. You got home field back. And uh, I'm just, you know, the baseball playoffs and playoffs in general. I'm a big proponent of small sample sizes. Crazy things happen. 
I, I, I would uh, not be stunned if it's Yankees-Dodgers in a few weeks. I would series. love that. By the way, Jerry, you know, you're talking <laughs> about this weekend. Twins, Yankees, both teams having the most home runs, I believe, of anybody in the league. Yep. It's going to be a, a really big show of sorts this weekend in the Bronx. Yeah. I was talking to someone this week, uh, at the, at the uh, last week at the Mets games, and someone was saying, uh, kind of, kind of uh, joking, but somewhat seriously, like, you know, the Twins won 100-odd games, but... Look at that division they played in. <laughs> uh, they had, you know, the, the the White Tigers lost 115, 116. The Royals lost 100. You know, that's like they got to grade that on a curve. That's like a 95 win division anywhere else. Um, yeah, look, I, I should I should not underestimate the Twins. I think some of us uh, here, myself certainly included, you know, we look at the Yankees always beat the Twins in the playoffs. So that's got nothing to do with now. 2009 to now, 2003 to now doesn't have anything to do with it now. But I just feel like this this Yankee team. Yeah, I'm sure people in Minnesota. Could say the same thing, having having seen them more often. But you know, this feels like a team that's been winning the division for a long time. It, it cleared itself for the Rays pretty quickly. It's been positioned for this since really since two years ago when they lost the Astros in Game Seven. I think the team's in position. You know, Cashman's built up, built built it back up, and I think it, you know he he changed managers. I think he's been you know this this is their time. I think I think they expect that this is their time to. Um, you know, to, to make the return of the World Series, which has been a decade, which is, you know, which is a millennium in Yankee years. Um, sure. I, I just, you know, I think, obviously, you know, you know, recency bias, location bias, but I do think the Yankees will, will have a fairly, you know, easy time with the Twins and then they get into what should be a great LCS against Houston. Well, and I tell you, if it isn't the Astros, I'll, I'll be shocked. I mean, both I the A's and, and Rays look pretty good, by the way. Yeah, that, that's that's the AL playoff field is loaded. You got a 96 win race team. I think the Oakland won 97 games. Some really good team is, is going to go one and done. And Cleveland won 93 games and was in the race to the very end. And, you know, they, they, I think they lost the last four in a row, but there was a time last week. It looked like we'd see someone with 95 wins or more left out. Um, and the, and the NL ended up pretty good too with Milwaukee and Washington getting red hot. But I was thinking that's going to be a fun game should... as well this week. I now, agree. now Jerry got one thing games. to ask you or jog your memory a little bit. Last year, the Indians dominate the AL Central, but of course they got swept by the the Astros, and it was like, whoa, that's a quick exit for a team that dominated their division. So I could see your point on the AL Central there. Yeah, it's just yeah. You know, look at hey, the AL East had the had the uh, Orioles lost 108, and the and the Blue Jays lost 90 Suns. So you know, there's, there's never been a bigger gap between the uh, the haves and the have-nots in terms of you know some teams are just they're they're shedding payroll and tearing it down and hoping they can, you know, match the Cubs and Astros. So, you know, every, every division, uh, really except, you know, every, certainly the American League, you know, Seattle, you know, packed it in pretty early. Uh, every division's got a, a, a team or two that everybody else kind of feasts on. So, uh, like I said, I'm sure people in Minnesota, you know, the Twins have never been there, uh, or at least, at least, you know, they could be the wildcard a couple years ago, but that was kind of, um, you know, they kind of got hot at the end after they traded some guys. Now this is the first t- first time they've been, you know, they've won 100 games in a long time. First time they've, you know, really hit the playoffs as as, as a contender. And sometimes those are the most dangerous teams when you don't know you're supposed to be there. Is when you do your most damage. So nothing would surprise me, but I, I really do think you know the Yankees are just a better team. They're built for this. I think we're really going to see the strength of that bullpen and, and the way Cashin's built it out. I mean, any of those guys they have in that bullpen, Tommy Conley could close for anybody. That's Zach true. Brink could close for anybody. I mean, they've got so many closers in that bullpen, and and you know they got they, they you know they were either winning by a lot in September, or, you know they had a little run where 
They, they weren't playing very well. You know, Chapman barely pitched. I mean, they, they're, they've got so many guys they can throw at you from like the third inning on. Uh, that I, I, you know, as long as they get a decent first trip to the order from Tanaka, Paxton, Hap, um, you know, I, I think they're going to be, I think, you know, they can win in a short series with, and, and match the, the great starting arms that if they get to the second round, who's going to throw at them. Now so. it's interesting to talk about, um, the Cubs a little while ago. Look, the, this team, the Cubs, they actually ruined the Mets' chances. By the way, we're talking with Jerry Beach. He's a Forbes sports writer and uh, covers the Mets. And, of course, you were at the series where not only uh, where the Cubs pretty much ended the Mets' year with that sweep, were you not? Yes, yes, yes. They were feeling real good about themselves before that. That was, um, that was I think, what, a Monday through, Monday through a Thursday or Tuesday through a Thursday. And, yeah, they just lost by the Braves, which was – not great, but that division was that division race was division race was basically over, and then the uh, Cubs come to town and wild card contenders, and you know you take two out of three there, you're in pretty good shape, and but they just uh, Chicago's had their way with them in, in in New York the last few years, and I agree. I mean they missed the playoffs by three games, and I think they ended up with a better record than the Cubs in the end, but you know you missed the playoffs by three games, and you look at that that's that sweep, and you know that that's that's clearly the before and after point of when they were a legitimate contender to when they, uh, you know, need a lot of help. And you know, they, they stayed the race for a long time, but you know, like, like Mickey said the other night, Milwaukee just wouldn't lose. <laughs> I mean, no. And and they uh, almost gave St. Louis a scare too. Yeah. They lost for two games and had a chance to up to yesterday to force a playoff. Now so, uh, um, we're talking about Mickey Calloway here for a second. You're kind of on the clock. I think everybody is to see if he returns next year. Is it inevitable, inevitable he doesn't return? No, I know. I think uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, uh, a fan, I was just just chatting, making small talk, and he made a good point, saying that um, you know the, the fact that he's in uh, organizational meetings, or I'm sorry, that the Mets are having organizational meetings this week. The fact that uh, he was, uh, Mickey talked about being in, in a meeting with Fred last week, talking about some of their pitching for 2020. Uh, I think that's a sign that that, or you know, I was talking to somebody who was saying, you know, this could be a sign that. That the Mets, uh, the ownership wants to keep them. Maybe the GM doesn't, and someone needs to be swayed one way or the other during these organizational meetings this week. Because to me, I don't know how you get to. You know, he's got two years of uh, of time as his, as their manager. We've seen what he can do. We've seen what he struggles with. We've seen his best moments. We've seen some pretty. You know, we've seen the moment with the writer with Newsday that you know that he's not proud of. We've seen a pretty sizable body of work. What's there to get discussed for the next two or three days? You know, he's managed 324 games with this team. Um, good, bad moments, everything in between. You know, I, I would think that you'd know by now, and once you got knocked out of the playoff race and there's no chance to make an old series run, that you would know by Sunday night you're going to keep him or not. So I think there's some validity to the idea that, you know, some, that there's, there's a split of opinion, split opinion in the front office and, and ownership. Or what to do with them, and what's interesting to me is is you know they really finished on a high note. Like we were talking about, you know they 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 were they looked like a ninety plus loss team for a while. He was you know a fait accompli. He wouldn't be back, and then you know they had a really good second half, and you know it's hard to know you know with, with the way the manager manager's job has changed, what his input is in game decisions and how much is of the game is scripted by the front office and. Certainly, the front office has its hands all over everything. So, there's some strange things that happen during the game, and I don't know who to blame for it. But all I, you know, all I think all week, I think we all can agree that that team played hard for him, 
and it's a young team, and he connected with them. And, you know, last night or yesterday afternoon is a perfect example. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, he was saying before the game, a lot of the veterans, um, Cano, Frazier, uh, wanted to play. You know, those are guys who could easily say, I'm done. Hey, you know, it's a long year. Let's, uh, let's pack it in and go home. And those guys wanted to play and play a few innings. And, uh, you know, Pete Alonzo, of course, wanted to stay in the whole game. They finally got him out in the 11th. And it worked out pretty well because Dom Smith hit the homer to walk it off. But, you know, that, you know, that team was down two runs. It's the next last game of the whole baseball season. There was only one game left on the whole calendar. And they scrapped back in the 11th inning and won the game. You know, and it was, it was a and, nice, gritty game to win. And, and Jerry, I feel like you're saying a little something different than what the papers would be saying right about now. I mean, uh, you're giving him, giving us an insight of what you've been hearing compared to, I think, a lot of feelings written in these papers about Callaway. Do you think the media thinks he's going to be gone? Or what, are your, what is your take on the media's view on his performance? I, I think, you know, generally speaking, I can't speak for everybody, but I think the general consensus is, you know, he's in trouble because it's going into his third year. Uh, I, can't, I read it this morning. Somebody wrote, you know, that's when, that's when you make a move. we got one year left on a deal. It's not a lot of money. Uh, you know, he's got uh, a long um, track record one way or the other. And, you know, it's a first-year general manager inherited him. GMs like their own guys. Uh, I I would say I think it's more likely than not he's not back, but I think that there's some signs. You know, like I said, the team playing well, and these and that, that the fact that his fate is not yet decided, I think can be construed as a sign he's got a shot. Uh, I'd say it's you know, I'd say it's fifty forty. He doesn't come back, uh, and I do think that's the consensus. I do think the consensus among the writers is that he's probably not coming back. Uh, but I you know it's the Mets. <laughs> they surprise you all the time. Well, so, uh, I got a question. So, are you at City Field right now in case they do pull that no. lever? No, no, no. I think uh, I think that would be uh, later in the week. Um, my guess, my guess, just pure pure speculation would be, would be Wednesday because Thursday is the Yankee workout day, and you know people people be covering that. So, my guess is one way or the other we'll find something out Wednesday. But that's just that's just me talking. <laughs> I, you know, that may not be the case, but that's my guess. Talking with the Jerry Beach of Forbes Sports, he covers the Mets. Obviously, you covered Pete Alonso, and what a what a story this kid is. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Pete Alonso and what you thought of him getting to know him the whole year, and of course, and, the historic moment. Yeah, uh, you know, he just came into spring training. Give them much credit. You know, they they were like most teams; they like to keep these guys down for service time reasons for a couple weeks or six weeks. You know, a couple couple weeks buys you next year free agency, six weeks buys you next year of arbitration, or close to eight weeks, I guess it is, and they and um, Brody, Brody Van Wagenen said, look, we're going to be the best players north of us. All right, that sounds good. And he wasn't kidding. And Pete, was a, Pete did great in spring. He hit four homers, hit well over 300. Like, all right. And like Mickey Callaway said the other day, okay, you know, if he does, you know, if he hits like, you know, he had 36 homers at AAA last year. If he hits, you know, two-thirds of that and two-thirds of his RBIs, you know, that's a really good year for a rookie. And, you know, he just came out of there, you know, shot out of a cannon. And that really slowed down. And you know that's one thing. You know, the on-field performance is something else. But you know, just such a such a natural leader, and, and he's got such natural joy for the game, and for being around the game, and for being around people. I mean, I, we saw him on. Uh, he, you know, one of the most moving things I've seen was you know him talking about uh, playing on 9/11 and wearing those cleats that he designed. Uh, that, sorry, that he purchased for the teammates. Um, and just what it meant to play in New York on 9/11, and and the understanding he had of what that day 
uh, he, you know, he understands. He was six years old in 1995. He, he, was, he was a young kid. I'm sorry. He was born in 1995, so he was six years old in 2001. You know, he understands that, you know, like, like those of us who, who were in New York that day, whether you lost him or not, you never get over that day. That day, and if you lost someone in, in, in those attacks, it's just, it's never leaves you. And he understands that. He's a, he was a six-year-old kid in Tampa at the time. He just gets New York. He gets New York people. He gets New York fans. He gets Mets fans. Now, I'm not and sure he, if this was planned or not before he hit the homer, but I know he's going to be at the Memorial yep. Museum this week. Yep, tomorrow. Yeah, he's donating his cleats that he wore on 9-11 to the museum. And, uh, yeah, that, I think I, I think they announced it, like, maybe only yesterday, but I know it's pretty sure it's been in the works for a while. So he was uh, – he, 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 when he won the home run derby, he donated a portion of his winnings to um, Tower – Towers uh, – shoot. Uh, Towers. What is it? Tunnel to Towers? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I should have known that. I apologize. Yes, he donated you know, a bunch of his winnings to, to that. So he's always been very uh, you know, supportive of um, you know, uh, 9-11 charities, police charities in the city. Like, so even though he's a young kid from Florida, you know, he just gets New York. Like you said the other day, you know, New York is home now. And, and you know, you know, he's, he's getting married this winter. He's, he's his girlfriend from Florida, but they're New Yorkers now. And it's just, you know, it's really... You know, I wrote something Sunday morning, late Saturday night, Sunday morning, about you know last year, as, as we all remember, David Wright played his last game in game 161. He came back, he got a little, he got a cameo, just couldn't do it anymore. His body was broken down, and then he's on in uniform for game 162. Though he didn't play, and that's it. Then then, then he was done as a major leaguer. And then this year, game 161, Pete Alonso hits a homer, is crying on the field, people are crying in the stands, people get goosebumps. You know, just like people cried and got goosebumps last year, but for an entirely different reason. And then, I know it's kind of so, special that this happened, the 50th anniversary of the championship. Obviously, they didn't get a ring this year, but it had that magical aura that sometimes Flushing has did. some summers, uh, certain summers. It did, it did. This team really reminded me, uh, my first real summer cover of the team was 1999, and this team reminded me a ton of that team, a lot of, you know, endearing personalities, a real, um, you know, Correct me if I'm back. wrong. That's the one they won on the wild pitch against the Pirates, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. Two back with three to play going into the last week of the season, the weekend of the season. Uh, they barely won Friday night, and then the Brewers, uh, Reds lost. And by the time they took the field Saturday, the Reds had already lost, so the Mets knew if they won out, they'd at least play a playoff game. And Saturday night, Rick Reed threw like a three-hit shutout over the Pirates. The next day, the, the Reds and, and Brewers were in Cincinnati. It was pouring rain, waiting there all day long to play the game. As you said, the Mets went on a walk-off with uh, Melvin Morris scoring, but Mike Piazza at the plate, and uh, they, they had, the Mets had to wait on the, on the tarmac for like hours to find out if the game was going to get played. And then if they get played, the Brewers got smoked, went to Cincy, Atlanta threw a shutout, and then you know the Mets almost went. Mets got to sixth game, sixth game of the LCS that year, and uh, it was just it was just a fun, scrappy team. They dug themselves some holes, dug themselves out of it. Um, you know, they had that was the year. Uh, I'm sorry, the next year was 2000. That was the year where Todd Pratt uh, enveloped Robert Ventura after the Grand Slam single. Yeah, right. It, and that was a yeah. bit rainy, if I'm not mistaken. It was a misty night that night. Oh, yeah. Pouring rain by that point. Yeah, it was pouring rain. And that always reminds me, when I see Alonzo ripping his shirts off, guys, I always think of Todd Pratt. <laughs> Get, enveloping guys, enveloping uh, Robert Ventura. And, and uh, he said, uh, Pratt was there earlier this year. He was part of the Mets alumni. And he said that uh, he uh, he'd have to complete his 
his cycle. If if uh, somebody had walked it off the night before, he would have. I think someone hit up. I can't remember. I know he said he 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 needed to get someone to uh, hit a grand slam double and a grand slam triple and involve them at, at those bases. And he'd hope to do it uh, while, while the Mets were uh, while he was there that weekend. Didn't work out that weekend, but he's. Uh, but they were just an entertaining team and a scrappy team. Some better than the parts. And, you know, a real team that kind of embodies the Mets. You know, the Mets are the underdogs in, in yep. New York City, let's face it. And they're a blue-collar team, and and they don't succeed as much as the Yankees. And when they do, it's, it's it's you know, the fans really celebrate it. And, you know, if they could have just, you know, a handful of those blown saves, those spectacularly blown saves, you know. Well, that's you, an you know. interesting thing you bring up because obviously Brody had two different con- – compare and contrast here. He had the great idea to call up Pete Alonso. But then Eddie Diaz made that trade. Of course, Cano not running it out early on made that trade make him look a bit foolish his first year. Yeah, yeah. The problem with closures, and I wrote this when it happened, is is you know you can find closures anywhere. You know, Edwin Diaz. You know, finally in September, the Mets couldn't go to him anymore, and they went to Seth Lugo, who was just phenomenal. And Seth Lugo was like a 36th round draft pick out of a Division three school in Louisiana, who was a starter and and, and hurt his back, and 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 he, you know they, he just kind of become this great. Multi-inning bullpen weapon. You know, Ian Kennedy was a starter for for 12 years, and the Royals used him as a closer this year. He was phenomenal. You know, Hansel Robles, the old Met, it was great for Los Angeles, the Angels. You can find closers. Uh, you know, I understood. You know, this, I understood. I I didn't disagree with the spin that you know we're getting Edwin Diaz. He's 24-25. He was just the best closer in baseball. He had 57 saves. We're locking ourselves up in a position for a long time to come. I get that theory, but. You know, closers, it's, it's a short lifespan. I mean, we're seeing it now. Craig Kimbrell is not what he used to be. Kenley Jansen is not what he used to be. Jansen, excuse me, Jansen was the only closer this year closing for the same team he closed for in 2016. It's only three seasons, four seasons. So it's just not a position where, you know, and this takes us back to how we started talking. There's not many Marion Rivera's out there. <laughs> Mo was a freak in the best possible way. Uh, nobody thought in 1995 when he came to the major leagues that this guy was going to redefine a closer position and earn unanimous induction into the Hall of Fame. He was a you know he scuffled as a starter and honed that pitch and apprenticed behind John Wetland for for a year. Right. Had a great year. And then you know but, and, and, and then you know you and I had met as I mentioned up in New Rochelle this unanimous, you know, Mariano induction ceremony, key to the city. And I asked you about the baseball writers association. You're part of that, but you cannot vote yet, is that right? Right. Right, right, right. You got to be in it ten years, and this is my uh, this is the end of my fourth year, sixteenth. Yeah, end of my fourth year it was it was this year. How does one get into that? So, I'm just curious. Uh, it used to be it used to be just for daily newspaper writers, and then you know the internet came along, and and the internet the, the daily newspaper writers daily newspaper gigs began to dry up, so there are more um, more publications, online publications that covered baseball on a daily basis. And so they began opening it up to those writers as well, like from Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus, and, and obviously the Athletic. Uh, the Athletic's fairly new. Uh, and for me personally, um, you know, they also opened it up to people who don't necessarily have a full-time job but cover the sport on a full-time basis. So I write for the uh, field-level media wire service, cover all the Mets games. And you know, we made the case this is a couple of years ago. We made the case that you know we're not full-time, but we have full, we do full-time work. And we're there 75 days a year at a home game, at home games. So um, it's a little easier to get into than it used to be. Still not quite. It's, it's still not, a, you know, it's still a pretty, 
pretty small group. But like I said, you've got to be in the group for 10 years before you get the Hall of Fame vote, and this will be in the end of my fourth year. So uh, I like to look at, you know, I'll, I'll be voting uh, if, if the rules, rules remain in place. You know, I'll have a chance to vote for Albert Pujols because <laughs> he, his contract expires in two years, and then it's five years after that. So I, 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 do, have, I do once in a while look at the uh, – I do look at the, you know, retiring players or players who are near the end and wonder, you know, who who I'll get to vote for hopefully in uh, 2026. So, um, well, you mentioned yeah. that day, and it's kind of true. You might be able to vote in for CC. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. CC's retiring this year, so that's 21, two, three. He'll be eligible 25. So, I don't think he'll be a first ballot guy. I think he should be. I don't think he will be because, well, I should say that because you know the electorate's changing and people no longer. You know, no, nobody's demanding 300 wins on a starting pitcher to, to get in the Hall of Fame. Nobody's demanding a sub-3 ERA. Uh, CC's got 250 wins, 3,000 strikeouts. He's won at least one World Series. He's won a Cy Young. Uh, his ERA is a little bit high, but look at the area in which he pitched. You know, it, it was an, he pitched in the – he opened his career uh, in 2001 at the height of the steroid era. He's exiting at the, at the – you know, during the launch angle revolution with the juice ball. So his ERA – for, for what for when he pitched is pretty good, and he took the ball every time. I mean, you know, that, the last few years he's been a little banged up, but he made 500 something starts. I don't know is anybody ever going to reach that point again? And he he's the last. He might be the last of a breed. He got up to the majors at 21 and and stayed till he's 39. You know, no real serious you know debilitating injuries. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. You know, people love him. Uh, teammates love him. He's beloved in that clubhouse. He's beloved in Cleveland. Uh, Remember we did Milwaukee in 2008. He was acquired by for a, a deadline push, uh, and he pitched for them on three days rest down the stretch. That's right. With a hundred million with a hundred million dollar contract on the line, you know, he, no, nobody would have argued if he said, "Hey, hey, hey uh, I'll pitch every fifth day." You know, he said, "No, give me the ball. Let's go win a pennant." And so, I and that I was the first time since '82, I believe. Yeah, 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 yep. First time since '82. They they won, they won the wild card, and uh, I, you know, I would. I would vote for him without second thought. Uh, and like I said, in five, in six years, uh, in, in you know, 21, by 20, 2025, you know, the electorate's different. Um, I think people will be more appreciative of CC's um, longevity. I think to me, longevity, especially for a pitcher, is just as important or almost as important as a, as a brilliant peak because you got to do something right to pitch, you know, 19 years and win 250 games and make 500 something starts. Um, so my guess is he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, <laughs> and I'll get a chance to cast a vote for him. But you know, it'd be great if he if he was already in, and and because uh, I think he deserves to be a Cooperstown. Now you know, and I know that uh, Yes Network has Forbes Sports Money, but honestly, Forbes is very much a business oriented, very much economic oriented uh, magazine. So what's it like to fit in at Forbes? Is that a bit of a niche over there? Yeah, well, we, what we do is uh, we're just on the website, uh, Forbes.com website. Uh, Damon, the magazine has some um, uh, sports features, I imagine, but those are penned by staff writers. Uh, Forbes has, a, has, a, has a, a broad website, you know, entertainment section, a lifestyle section, a politics section, and they use each of these. Uh, you try, we try to put, you know, sometimes, like in sports, I can't say every story I write has a, has a financial hook to it. Like the other night, I wrote about Alonzo. Excuse me, hitting the, you know breaking the home run record. It was just about, you know, like I, I talked to you about earlier about you know the cool passing baton from one superstar to another in Mets history. Um, but you know, like I'm working on something, a post probably closer to free agency about the um, you know cold market that 
uh, mid mid major guys found this year. Uh, the last few years, mid level free agents. Um, you know, not not the superstars, but the guys used to get three years and you know thirty million. They're getting one year and one million. You know, uh, and I talked to a bunch of guys uh, uh, who, who spoke off the record. You know, to kind of give me their um, you know unfiltered take on it. And there's a lot of suspicion. You know that 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 you know whether it's analytics, everybody everybody using the same data or something a little more sinister, you know, these guys recognize that they're being squeezed and that needs to change in the next CBA, which is due up in a couple of years. So, it was, so we, try, we try to do stories. Like I said, I can't speak for the, the other sections because you know, I don't write for them, but, you know, imagine, you know, the entertainment section tries to put a, you know, what does this mean financially wise for, for Hollywood or something like that. Right, right. Hey, so, Jerry, yeah, what do you think I, about I this uh, idea that these scientists have been looking at the baseball to really modify it in the near future? I mean, yeah. how can you argue that they don't need to modify it? It's just insane. I mean, we're at the ballpark yesterday, and Danny Hitchbaria, who's, you know, a punch and duty slap hitter for his whole career, is belting opposite field home runs. <laughs> He's hit two home runs a game. Um, and he did that. I remember videotaping it once this year. He hit one with the Mets. That was a big spot there. Yeah. He hit an opposite yeah. field jack. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, I, I don't understand why, why baseball changes every year. You know, two, two years ago in 17, you know, the same thing. Aaron Judge hit the 52 homers. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit 59. Clearly the ball was was livelier then than it was zero four. Uh, I don't understand why it's so hard just to get a standard baseball to use at all all levels of pro ball. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you know, we all love the commercial chicks dig the long ball. But, jeez, you know, it's like. We all love dessert, but if you eat chocolate cake three meals a day, you probably get tired of it. That's right. You know, the home run. Well, and I it's do like, miss. Right, I mean, there's also been a lot of strikeouts because these guys are hitting, yeah. are trying to hit every minute, and they strike out most of the time. Sometimes. Yeah, and uh, strikeout has been, um, you know, back in the day. It's funny to think of this today because Clint Hurdle was fired yesterday, but he said, you know, the Pirates, you know, this is a couple years ago, the Pirates were one of the few teams that you know wanted to hit and run and and wanted to you know move a, move a runner over and. Hit the ball to the other side, you know. Guys on third, hit the ball to to, to to the right side, bring them home. And he said, you know, there there should be shame, something along these lines. There should be shame in walking back to the dugout after a strikeout. Put the ball in play. And, but that's the minority opinion. You know, Thirty years ago, you know, yeah, you don't strike out, you feel bad. Yeah, your teammates, uh, they're not happy with it. Your manager's not happy with it. Now it's like all right, all or nothing. It's the way everybody's playing the game. And they'd rather get a three-run bomb than have you roll a ball over and 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 you know make it not that way. They, they, they to them most teams are most teams of baseball, the three-run homer is 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 uh it's worth the risk for an out. You know if you strike out, great, it's only one out. But if we have three-run homer, we got three runs. Um, and they know, don't really preach shorting up the swing anymore. I remember that no. phrase. Shorten the swing was a big thing back in the eighties, nineties. Yep. yep. And uh, Edgar Alfonso did that better than anybody that I've seen with the Mets. What a great two-strike hitter that guy was. And he was a power hitter. He could, you know, he could hit 15, 20 bombs a year, but he he would just he'd had a, he had a great two-strike approach, foul off balls, shorten up his swing. And J.D. Davis does the same thing uh, with the Mets now. You know, you notice he gets a ton of three-two counts, and he'll just keep wasting pitches, wasting pitches, wasting pitches, shorten up his swing. You know, he, you know, he's, he won a batting title at AAA last year. He's, he's a 25 to 30 home run. Um, has the potential to be a 25 to 30 home run hitter. He had 22 this year in fewer than four. I think in fewer than 400 at bat. So, uh, so that's a lost start for sure. But if you're being told from the time you reach pro ball 
you know, hit bombs, strike out. We don't care. What are you going to do? Well, I tell you what, you know, and and for all the stuff that Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso get for the home runs they hit, the fact is they also draw their walks. And you remember this. There were two games down the stretch here where Pete Alonso, very patient, drew a four, not a four-pitch walk, but he drew a walk to win the game both here at City Field and also on the road in Colorado during their uh, top of the ninth rally. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, you know, Pete, that's you know, something else you know really impressive about his, his season is that you know he had a couple hiccups, a couple you know rough patches because he's going he's he's 24 years old. Like but even Friday night, uh, he you know the t- a chance to tie. I uh, was a break. Um, Thursday night, sorry Thursday night, chance to tie Judge's record. He went over four, four strikeouts, and he didn't look terrible, but he didn't look himself either. And next day, first at bat, home run, first or second at bat. And Mickey Holloway said, you know, you can just tell him batting practice. He he kind of, you know, his his swing was smoother. He wasn't as violent. He was he was you know waiting on the ball. He was you could tell whatever had happened the night before, it, it a didn't stick with him. You know, it didn't linger in his head. And b he knew the adjustments he had to make, and he had a good batting practice session. And then he hit two more home runs, and he has the record. So it's a very uncommon and same thing with Judge two years ago, a very uncommon mature plate approach. Because you know the old, you know, back in the old days, that was the theory. You know, you get these guys will have a hot start, and and then the book will be out on them, and then you teams will adjust, and then it's up to the player to adjust. But I read something really interesting this year saying that there's no book anymore because everything's in real time. So, you know, the the pitchers and teams are watching these hitters, and they know exactly what's what their strengths and weaknesses are right away. You don't need one trip through the league to figure it out. But the same goes for the hitters. There's so much data available. Um, you know, Pete can be watching video on guys he's going to be facing in a month. Pete can spend time in his in the in the locker room after the game watching his swing to see what's see where he went wrong. You know, he had a big notebook he filled in all year with his observations of the guys he was facing. So the learning curve is is a lot shorter for everybody. And I think certainly the seasons that Judge and Alonzo had in 17 and 19 are evidence of, are evidence of that. Now I've got to ask you this because. As we were talking in in July, we talked about how you're in the midst of writing a book. I don't know if you're able to share about that, but it's about sure. the 2000 sure. World Series. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Subway Series, which is unbelievably 20 years next year. Um, yeah, that, that was why I was up in New Rochelle. I wanted to interview Mo, and I was able to do that for a few minutes. Uh, I just found his memories of the series and and facing the Mets in, in in regular season games, and it's mostly about. You know, the 20th anniversary of the, of the World Series that the Yankees, of course, won in five games, but five really well-played, contested games. I believe uh, I just read that it was the first series, maybe ever or certainly in a long time, to have all five games decided by two or fewer runs. And the Mets led every game except the second one, and it was one the second one against Mo. Uh, they were up 6 nothing, down 6 nothing in the ninth, and Jeff Nelson had a hard time, and, and Jay Payton came in and hit a homer off of um, Rivera, which is the last homer. Rivera gave up in the postseason. It's just amazing to think about it. He pitched on our 13 years in playoffs and never gave up another home run. Yeah, that's 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 a Hall of Famer right there. Well, and, that whole uh, season, and then Mariano, of course, was jumping up and down at Shea Stadium. I think it was Game Five. Yep. But yep. that whole year with the Piazza Clemens mm-hmm. chaos, and and of course the big walk that Benitez gave up in Game One itself. All yep. these moments made for an amazing summer. Yeah, it really did. Uh, I was talking to, talked to Paul O'Neill about that. And he was like, I wasn't feeling good at the plate. You know, was, at that point he was 37 or 38. He's, big, he's beat up. He's like, you know, and back then, you know, 
Benitez was the outlier throwing 98. Now it's everybody throws 98. Back then, Benitez was throwing gas, and he didn't see that a lot. He's like, I was just in position. I didn't feel good up there. I knew I was in trouble. Just try to waste pitches and, and try to try to drag it out and, and get a walk. And Todd Pratt is the catcher for the Mets that game. He's like, come on, make it out. You know, stop swinging. <laughs> you know, he's like, come on, miss one, miss one. And he never did. He kept falling off pitches off and worked the walk. And and then of course they, they tied the game and won it. And that really set the tone for the series. Both 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 got both teams I've talked to over this have said that you know the Yankees the Mets if we can win Game One, you know they're behind for the first time in the World Series in this in four years and. And, and they're feeling the pressure. There's no pressure on us. Uh, Todd Pratt said we can blow their nose a little bit by winning game one. And, we, and they couldn't do it. And, um, and then the Piazza Clemens thing. Like Todd Zeal said, you could not have – and Todd Zeal is actually uh, works in Hollywood sometimes. He does some script writing and has been involved with movies and things. His daughter is in This Is Us. And he says, you could not script a crazier ending to that whole thing than what actually happened. And you pop it up, fine. You strike out, fine. You get a single, fine. What are the odds that he's going to break his bat, you know, on a, on a foul ball, and that Clemens is going to throw it in his direction? <laughs> I mean, who, who would think that could happen? And, I don't um, think anybody did. And I think, no. obviously, years later, it was found out he might have had steroids in him that night. Well, as, as someone I talked to said, there's a lot of testosterone that night. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's, it, that. that year for me personally was special because I got to know George Steinbrenner. And after the. Okay. World Series. He had me on the float with him up Broadway. So that was a special year oh, for my father and I as well. So this was. Uh, I'm going to look forward to reading that book. Thanks. Man. We'll be out next spring, and uh, I'm finishing up the next few weeks, and really, really, really looking forward to it because uh, it's funny because I covered the Mets back then, so I still know those guys a little bit. They recognize me, and they're you know easy to get to talk to. Didn't know the Yankees from. A hole in the wall. <laughs> Never do any of them. And every guy I've talked to has been fantastic, eager to talk. But I guess when you win the World Series, you'll talk about it, right? <laughs> that's, that's well, not only and that, it, they won. That was the third in a row. So that was even yep. what made it even more special. Right. That's the other. I mean, they were dynasty already, if you ask me. They'd won two in a row and three out of four. That, that's a dynasty to me. But you win the third in a row, four to five, and you beat the Mets to do it. And that's just that just shredded any doubt. That they were the best team we'd seen since you know since the seventies Oakland A's, and then you know they should they should have won in all one, the two outs away from four in a row and five out of six, and you can argue that um, you know Moe's other blown save in ninety seven cost them a championship because that field was wide open after that. Right, and that was when the Indians yeah. actually lost on a game winning single by the Marlins. Right, right. I mean, you can make an argument that the Yankees could have won six champions championships in a row. Now, the flip side of that is a lot of the Yankees I talked to said that that loss in 97 really motivated them the next four years. And, and that's true because said, they all got to camp eager and everything. Of course, the next yep. year, I think they had 125 wins. And you know, Jerry, yeah, one other thing about that whole 100-plus win thing is that used to be like a, a, a source of pride, a source of, wow, we got to 100 yep. wins. Now almost everybody gets there. I know. We got this year four, Yankees, Oakland, uh, Houston, Minnesota, and L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. Four teams got there. Atlanta got to ninety-seven. Um, the uh, the wildcard teams we're talking about ninety-seven, ninety-six. Yeah, but that's what happens. You know, when you have teams trying to emulate the Astros and the Cubs and going total teardown and hoping to build it back up in a few years, that's what you're going to get. And I'm always, I always like to say, you know, yeah, work for Houston, work for Chicago, but what happens if if um, 
the Indians closed out a 3-1 lead in 2016 and win the World Series. Right. What happens if the Dodgers, what happens if Darvish gets pulled in the first inning of game one, oh, I'm sorry, game seven, instead of the second inning, they bring in Kershaw. Kershaw was great that game, but the game was out of hand. What happens if the Dodgers win game seven and six in, uh, in 17? Well, then you're talking about, you know, teardowns that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, Houston didn't win a championship. The Cubs didn't win a championship. How differently are we viewing tanking if, if those teams sell short? Now, you can say anything about you know you can say if, if this if that if this if that but how many you know there's only only one team can win a championship every year what are the odds that Baltimore Detroit Kansas City Chicago White Sox Seattle Miami uh, what are the odds they're all going to win a championship <laughs> what are the odds they're all going to you know see this through and get yeah you got to get lucky in the playoffs as we all know that could have good fortune what are the odds that they're all going to be able to see this through and get the ultimate payoff for having you know, kicked a couple seasons. Not so good. So, you know, I hope for Detroit's sake that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow after 116 losses. But, yeah, I suggest, you know, they're going to get better and they'll get back to the playoffs, but will have been worth, you know, a complete teardown and being not competitive for a couple of years. And amazingly for Miami, Jeter's lost respect from those in Miami yeah. and the organization itself. And I remember, I, I know you've seen this, a couple of guys that are in the Hall of Fame will not go to his ceremony yeah. next year. That. Should he be in yeah, the he didn't handle that. He, ballot? He didn't, he didn't handle that very well. I mean, the Marlins don't have very many legends just because they're not that old. I mean, you know, it's not a knock on them. It's their 25-year-old franchise. You know, if you're going to dismiss, like the, and the guy said, if you want to dismiss, that's fine. New ownership, that's fine. But he didn't do it personally. And then he offered it back at a, at a you know, pittance of what they were making. And it's just not right. It's not fair. But I'll say this. I didn't think, he, I didn't think he'd rehire Manley, and he did. So he maybe he... You know, maybe he took some lessons from that experience and realized, you know, you need to, you know, yeah, uh, you know, tread a little carefully. And you know, it's not, not Don Manley's fault that they lost 100 and whatever games this year. <laughs> Donnie didn't trade Giancarlo Stanton for pennies on a dollar. He didn't trade Marcel Luzuna. He didn't trade Christian Ellick. So I was glad to see Manley get the, get another shot at it because I think he's uh, he's good with those young guys. And let's face it, you're a New York guy, you're a Yankee guy. Best to see Donnie gets to the World Series, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would. And, and of course, you know, Posada joined Jeter's team right. down there in, in Miami, right. which is pretty cool. Yep, yep, yep. So hopefully hopefully Donnie gets a chance with them down there because uh, you know, he's a good baseball guy. And and uh, it'd be nice to see, you know, he had the bad luck of getting to the Yankees the year after the World Series in 82 and retiring the year before the dynasty started. And his first year in uniform back, I think, was 04. Which was the which was the three zero lead that they squandered against the Red Sox. So, you know, and he's a good guy. I think people like to see Don Manley get a uh, get a shot at the brass ring before before he heads off from the sunset. So, well, so Jerry, you know, I, I love this conversation, and we got so in depth, and I want to have you back. Hopefully, before sure. the postseason's over, maybe our sure. round one recap, round two recap, and and sure. then some if you're if you're game for that. Absolutely, anytime. Let me know, and I'm not going to Disney Disney anytime soon. So I'll. Uh, I'll be able to be in touch with you. And I apologize. I know we wanted to chat early in the summer. I just got kind of hectic with the family, family vacation and the book. But, yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, it's the perfect time because you could react to Alonzo's history, the That's Yanks' right. big year, and now it's on to October, my favorite month, right. partly because I was Mine born too. in it. <laughs> well, happy birthday. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I love baseball. The baseball players are the best. Best month of the year is coming up tomorrow. Can't wait. And hopefully we drop below 90 and maybe 80, 70, 60 to make it yeah. a little cooler. That'd be nice. It's nice to have some fall for once. We'll see about that. I'm less certain about that. 
I'm more sure about the Yankees making the World Series than I am about that. So there you go. Hey Jerry Beach <laughs> yeah. uh, from Forbes. From uh, remind me, remind us the other uh, network you're with. Uh, Field level media. It's a wire service. And you can be found on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. Right. At Jerry Beach 73. All right. Very cool. Find him there. Find him uh, writing anywhere and, and uh, just keep up with Jerry Beach. Thanks so much, Jerry, for joining us tonight. Thanks, Alex. Have a great night. You too. I'm Bye. Alexander Garrett, and we'll see you next time on Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett.